Global Connections Television is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guests. We invite you to go to the website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous shows. If you're involved with a PBS or community access television station or an educational institution that has an intra-campus television hookup, or perhaps a podcast or just a computer and would like to share the programs, please feel free to do so. Global Connections is provided at no cost to help people in the U.S. and worldwide better understand how international issues impact our lives. Welcome to today's Global Connections program. I'm Bill Miller. Today, we're going to take a look at modern languages, which affect people really all around the world to some degree. My guest today is an expert on this topic. Katrin Cole is a professor of German at the University of Oxford and a fellow of Jesus College. Professor Cole, who is multilingual, recently wrote Modern Languages, Why It Matters. Professor Cole, welcome to today's Global Connections program. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. I appreciate you being with me today. Your book is very fascinating. It's, it's a small book, but it's very readable and it's packed full of good information. What was the thrust of the book? Why, why did you write it? And what was your main message? So I, was, I wrote it because um, I've become increasingly fascinated by languages and their importance in the world and how we tend to not really think about them that much, particularly if we speak a widely spoken language like English. Um, and I worked on a, I led a research program for four years called Creative Multilingualism, which was a big research team. And we were looking at languages from many different aspects, including translation, global literature. I was looking at metaphor, um, and we were looking and, and also um, biolog biological factors, for instance, bird conservation played a part. And so what we were looking at was how language empowers our creativity, um, how it affects us mentally, but also that languages are really a human rights issue that is often not sufficiently widely recognized as affecting really every aspect of our lives and our, of, of power relations as well. That's interesting. Uh, we're going to get into your book. And you mentioned human rights. And I'm just curious, I know that uh, the Universal Declaration of Human Rights in, directly or indirectly focuses on people's ability to communicate and that type of thing. Where do you, uh, how do you view that as far as being a human right? I think it's not something that I used to think about much, but then I grew up with English and German, and those are languages where speakers don't really feel disempowered by their language. So we simply take it for granted that we can communicate. Um, English gets us further probably than any other language um, in the world. But um, the more I was, um, talking to people who speak minority languages, also looking at how in the UK, where, where, where I live and work, um, how languages are handled in schools, you become very aware that no, whether you know a language matters in every part of your life. So take healthcare, 
if you don't understand the policy on vaccination, um, then you're simply not going to get the same kind of access. You might not even get the appointment. You might not understand the appointment that you're being sent. Um, equality, gender equality. Um, women speak, tend to speak a language in the home that might be a, a very local language. They're less likely to get the education that enables them to participate in political discourse um, and far less likely to speak a, a global lingua franca that might enable them to participate in um, the kind of conversations that would allow them to assert the right to equality. So a lot of the, so looking at the sustainability goals um, that um, the, the, the sustainable development goals that the UN formulated, language isn't one of them explicitly, but every single one of those goals ultimately depends on language because uh, you can't assert your right to something if you can't communicate your right. That's very true. All 17 of the sustainable development goals do that. And uh, there, you have to be able to communicate. I, while we're speaking of the UN, we may as well just stay in that bailiwick for a few moments. But I know each year the United Nations, the Indigenous Peoples uh, Conference takes place at the United Nations and Indigenous Peoples from all around the world come to the UN. And language is one of the most important issues they deal with. And of course, they're talking, well, I think right now you and I said there are about 7,100 languages around the world. And of course, the ones most widely spoken are Chinese, Mandarin, English, Hindi, French, and Spanish, and then on down the list. But the indigenous peoples in many areas, sometimes you have only a small group, an extended family, or even a handful of people who speak them, yet they're still very important, are they not? Yes, I think that every language really in, in, as a matter of principle is as important as every, every other because languages, um, they enshrine a worldview that is subtly different from every other worldview. Um, so just as it's important to um, to, to sustain our biological diversity. So we need to sustain our linguistic diversity. For example, um, if, if you have an island, um, the people on those island, on, on that island, will have developed a language that is specific to the natural life of that island that will be able to distinguish between plants, birds, animals, um, and will be yeah, we'll, we'll be, as it were, experts in the husbandry of that territory. Now, if the language dies out, or if you come in there with just English and expect to um, be able to access that knowledge, um, you simply won't be able to do that. If that language dies out, the knowledge dies with it. And um, it's been found that biological diversity goes hand in hand with linguistic diversity. It's not yet very well understood what the cause and effect relations might be, but it is a fact. And I think it's the kind of fact that we really need to attend to because, yeah, because we're, we're also, we're, we're preserving whole mindsets that allow us to see the world in a more multifaceted way that reflects the cultural diversity of humankind. So it's hugely important on those grounds, 
but also because um, ten tending to a language and ensuring that it's um, it's nurtured in the education system, for example, is going to be the only way in which the local people will truly have access to a language that allows them to express themselves and that allows them to participate in the kind of conversations they need to have in order, well, for example, um, matters like climate change. Um, if we're all talking English, um, we cannot have an effective policy of climate change because we simply won't be able to involve the people who know most about certain parts of the, of the world. That brings up a very important point. In fact, you mentioned that in Modern Languages in your book. And for English seems to be the, the major language of business, if you will, around the world today. But uh, why, is it, uh, why is language learning important for English speakers in this era of global English, where English seems to predominate? Why, why should they be concerned about this and learn some other languages? I think unless unless you speak another language or you've 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 engaged with other languages, you don't actually understand how important language is. Um, if you, I mean, I I was just um, the other day translating a text, a, a romantic, um, a, a text of, um, of of idealist philosophy um, from German into English, and really every word was difficult to translate. There wasn't an exact equivalent. Um, if you do that, however inexpertly, and however much you're just, as it were, dabbling in it and just learning the basics of other languages, you immediately experience that there are certain things which just don't seem to quite express the same thing. Or in, for instance, in, in German, which is the language I know best, you can, you can form compounds really easily. Well, if you, if you can form a compound, then, something that is, um, I mean, for instance, thought and language is two words. Um, so it's like it's two different things. In German, you could form, a, you could form a, um, a compound without much difficulty that would make them into one word. Um, now, that means that things which in one language you have to see as separate, in another language you can see as both part of the same thing. It becomes a more holistic concept. That kind of um, language difference, we really all need to understand because we're all now living in multilingual communities and we need to understand that other people may think differently because they have different means of expression, but also that gives us access to um, a more imaginative way of, of approaching problems, of approaching social um, issues and so on. Mm -hmm. Now, in regards to interacting with people who speak other languages, but also for, let's say, an English speaker to learn another language, what are some of the intrapersonal skills that that person will acquire after engaging in learning German or, or Spanish or whatever it might be? What, what will help that person achieve his or her full, uh, I guess, uh, knowledge, if you will, well, firstly, you gain another um, whole set of human relationships. Um, you, um, 
you may get jobs that you would otherwise not get because you've, you you can access um, different jobs with um, with with certain language skills. But I think in a much more fundamental way, it makes you much more attuned to the power of communication and all that goes into it. So um, if you if you I mean if you go to Italy, for instance, gesture plays a far greater part. Um, you see that. Um, body language generally is 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 much more is much richer um that um in i went to japan and it was very obvious how as it were social distance that's something that we've now become very aware of um that have that we never <laughs> yes that's right that, that is very much part of how you relate to each other and it makes you feel somewhat different um so those kind of things you very quickly, if you're learning another language, you quite very quickly see how every part of how you communicate is part of a very, very rich system that we use all the time. But if we're only locked into our familiar way of doing it, then we won't be as sensitive to that. And I think it also makes us aware of, um, I mean, one, one thing that we worked on on our research project was that we we came to the conclusion that really one of our fundamental principles was going to be that everybody is actually multilingual, that we're born to be multilingual. And that is that is so in very obvious biological ways. So, for example, it's been found that um, people who operate bilingually or multilingually, that can um, delay the onset of dementia by about four to four and a half years. Now, what that tells me is that um, it's it's like with muscles, use it or lose it, and that our brains are they benefit from speaking more than one language. So there's a huge benefit to have we had from learning languages, um, and presumably just as much early in early on as 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 later when one can measure it more easily. Um, but I think that means that, I mean, for instance, when we speak dialects or when we use different registers, that is all, those are all manifestations of multilingualism in some form or other, that we, we choose different words depending on who we're talking to. We use slightly different pronunciation. We use a different tone of voice. Um, if I'm speaking to my dog, I notice my voice is very different. Um, and also I've, be I've become much more interested in how humans communicate with animals. I mean, I, how does my dog and cat, how do they relate to each other? How do I relate to them when I watch my daughter speak to the dog or cat? Um, those kinds of questions, you, you become much more attuned to that sort of, yeah, the whole, the whole range of communication that forms part of our daily lives. It certainly does, whether, whether we're aware of it or we're not, it's happening and it certainly does. Well, you're watching Global Connections Television, which is a privately funded, independently produced program. The opinions expressed on Global Connections are solely those of the moderator and his guest. We'd invite our viewers to go to our website at www.globalconnectionstelevision.com to view previous programs. Also, if you're involved with a PBS or community access television station, or perhaps an intra-campus television hookup, with an educational institution, or you have a podcast, or you just have a computer, you like our shows and you would like to share them, please feel free to do so. Global Connections Television is provided at no cost as a public service 
to help us better understand international issues and how they impact our lives. Today, we're taking a look at the broad area of modern languages and how it affects us, and it does. My guest is an expert in this area. Katrin Kohl is a professor of German at the University of Oxford and a fellow of Jesus College. Professor Kohl, who is multilingual, recently wrote Modern Languages, Why It Matters. Professor Cole, we're talking about a wide range of, of issues in regards to languages. Do, as we learn languages, as we interact with people who speak other languages, do we develop a cultural intelligence? I've heard that term before. I think you've alluded to that, but do, do we, is that something that we put into our, our, our repertory of, of skills that we're developing this cultural intelligence? I think so. I'd, um... Having come across the concept of emotional intelligence, it struck me, um, the more I thought about languages, that they are really um, a way in which we become aware of cultural diversity. And the more we engage with other people who speak other languages, the more aware we become of ourselves as cultural be beings who are um, shaped by by our communities in very real ways, far more than we tend to notice, but it's, it's the difference of engaging with another culture through another language that makes us most aware of that, I think. And I believe it trains our imagination and this concept of cultural intelligence, which is not the same as the kind of intelligence we use when we do maths or when we um, read books. It's, it's an awareness of cultural, cultural factors in our daily interactions with people. And if, if, you, if we think about, I mean, for example, in the, in the UK, in the US, um, schools, workplaces are becoming much more multicultural. Now, if we think of multiculturalism only in terms of a different culture, we're actually missing the medium through which the culture has grown to be, to have the identity it has, and the people grow, have, have a particular identity, which might actually be multilingual, but that will be very much part of their cultural way of being. And it's very, if you, if you only operate in one language, which is highly standardized, like English, you have no concept of that. It's only really by opening up to that very different way of, talking, of using language, of perhaps moving between languages, you suddenly begin to appreciate how complex culture is and how complex our own identities are. We certainly do, That's uh, most assuredly. Well, in the last three or four minutes we have left, I've, I've picked on a few items that, that I want to focus on, but are there one or two other really important points that you'd like to bring to, to the discussion before we run out of time? I think the, the sheer joy of, of uh, engaging with languages, I think languages are hugely fascinating. And I've become very aware of how many people do in fact learn languages just because they become really interested in them. And also inventing languages. Um, why would somebody invent languages? It's because it's, it's, because it's it's, it's in our DNA. Um, and also one of the areas I've become, I've, I've uh, become aware of as well is how, how animals clearly communicate in much more 
um, multifaceted ways um, than used to be thought. So it was always there's always been the theme that what distinguishes human beings is um, language. And I think up to a point that's true, but actually, um, for example, birds have dialects. Night nightingales have in a phenomenal range of different songs they use. And, um, people have reported, for instance, playing instruments in a park in Berlin um, regularly. And initially, um, the local nightingale, whose territory that was, um, started yeah, wanting to block that sound, but after a while then engaged with that sound and it became a kind of interactive thing. So it makes us more aware of being mammals, of being animals, of being, of, of being able to relate to other species, of being part of the world in a, in a, in a very vocal way. And I find that fascinating. It certainly is. There's no, it's extremely fascinating. One other thing in the last 30 seconds, I know we can't do justice to it. I know you're doing some research on metaphor. What, what do you, can you explain that in a minute? <laughs> Let's take a minute. Not 30 seconds. <laughs> yes. This complex issue in one minute. <laughs> Apologies well, for that. <laughs> me metaphor is built into our, into our conventional language. Every, if, if we say I'm feeling depressed, that's a metaphor. It's feeling you know, sort of feeling or if I'm feeling down, it's a metaphor. Our whole conceptual system is metaphorical. We're continually moving between our bodily experience of being in a space in a space um, and giving that meaning um, in through abstract concepts that are using those spatial concepts. And once you start looking at language in the, that way, you find that the whole of language is like that. So we're learning a con conceptual system as we speak and as we learn it from our parents, as we learn it um, from other people. And we're continually, if, um, the language of coronavirus is absolutely packed with metaphor. It certainly is. It, uh, this is a fascinating topic and there are new dimensions to it and you've explored so many of them in your book. Uh, modern languages, why it matters. But uh, Professor Katrin Cole, it's a great topic and I look forward to seeing your future research and your next book. But I want to thank you so much for being with me today and thank you for a very interesting and a very informative program. <music>